Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched High Rise, directed by Ben Wheatley and released in 2015. The plot of High Rise goes something like this. The residents of a luxury high-rise tower in 1970s London descend into violent chaos. I kind of thought this movie was like set in the future or something like that before mm. I actually saw it. Yeah. And then I saw it and I'm like, this is set in the 70s? It was quite... um. What's the word? There's cognitive dissonance when, when we first started Anachronistic? Watching. No, no, no. It was just kind of dissonance. Like, cause right. it's, it's that full on apocalyptic mood, which is, I guess, the idea. And the novel's written in the 70s, but everyone is, yeah, all the, all 70s clothes, 70s hair, 70s cars. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a weird kind of dystopian past <laughs> rather than a dystopian future, yeah. I guess. Although it was written, like when it was written in 1975, kind of makes sense with what sort of, I mean, it ends. We even ends with the Margaret Thatcher speech. Kind of makes sense with what Britain and the West was going through at the time, where the transition from like you mean it's very subtle metaphors. Yeah, the transition from like post-war boom to um, everyone for themselves neoliberal capitalism. Yes, it was very unsubtle, but that is true. And the the royal, the royals, the Mister and Missus Royal live on the top floor in the penthouse, and they rule. And and the the place gets nicer as you get up higher. And, and they're the, really the wife has that really um the the nostalgia thing going on. Yeah, the has Marie Antoinette thing. Yeah. And at one point she actually says, What else do we need for the thing for the party? And she goes, Cake? Yeah. Like, okay. Subtle metaphors, yep. I get it. And you, you also and then like the gender metaphors are really unsubtle as well because you get like the uh, violent working class man and his a downtrodden but wonderful wife down on the lower floors who complains about being in is, is in lots of debt and has all these children and their house is a mess and then up on the higher floors the the royals have one of the women from the lower floors clean for them but still he is violent towards her and so she can't escape like there's all this very very unsubtle metaphor in there yes well this is a movie in which there are i think no likable characters uh, Sienna Miller kind of a little bit, mm. um, but even she has some issues. And then um, the secretary, Tom Hiddleston's secretary at work is like the best character yeah. in the movie. She's she, the only nice sort of vaguely human person in this mm, whole movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, Everyone else is kind of uh, creepy dystopian people. Well, it's, it's you know, it's Lord of the Flies crossed with Snowpiercer in a, in a high rise. Mm, mm-hmm. That's what it's like. Um, the metaphors are Accurate. unsubtle but there's not as much action or anything yeah also the the descent into chaos happens really in a in a really montage quickly. really quickly and that was weird I, that was a strange choice for them to montage the main mm. point of the movie it, it, it is because like it makes sense to start off with everyone's living the high life and we're seeing the cracks appear but we kind of like we see the cracks appear and then the following week they're eating dogs and there's garbage everywhere I, yeah, I couldn't get a sense of the time period in which this happened. Also, well, you're watching this happen like move, move house, go live with your sister for a couple of weeks until you can find yeah. a couple of months until you can find a new place. Yeah. Just, just leave. People are eating each other. Yeah. Like yeah. just, just go somewhere else. I mean, at least with Snowpiercer, they couldn't leave, right? Mm. But high rise is weird because they absolutely can leave. Like it's not like they're stuck in there; they can walk out the front door well, at any time. I, I, I wonder if it's the the idea is that they don't realize how bad it is and, and try to leave until it's got to the point where none of their cars are still available to drive, or then they walk. They're or they're miles out of town. I, they, I think it's the point that obviously the metaphor is that none of them feel like they can, even though that's yes. the obvious solution. But that's the thing is that because it is all metaphorical, anytime you apply any kind of logic to it, it just falls apart completely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. 
So the supermarket there isn't very good. Go to another one. Mm. Go somewhere else. Leave. Mm. Like, and and there's a point at which, um, and everyone and, seems to have stopped going to their jobs as well. Like, well, it descends see, into complete. They all have jobs that they go to, and and you, you see Luke Evans get fired. That happens, but everyone else seems to still what? have it. He's a, after he kills the dog. After he kills the dog. No, that's not Luke Evans. Yeah, he kills a dog in the pool. It's a bit where you're in the toilet when the kid oh, takes the ki- so when he, he takes he the kid from his okay so director filmmaker job like no he gets he gets someone says you'll never work in television again so he loses all his oh, contacts oh that's okay right so at the after he kills the that dog in the pool which he does after he leads all the children into the pool the rich people are having a private party and he takes all the kids down there and takes them swimming and eventually kills one of their dogs one of the rich people's dogs and that's then awful. someone says to the him you'll never work in television dogs again is awful in this yes, movie yes also like the kids are a really weird aspect of this movie because none of them are really seen as people Mm. but at the same time there's no kind of consequence for the stuff that they're doing to the kids and yet the last shot is of one of the kids so I'm like what are they trying to say with children here? It does seem like Sienna Miller's son is building a bomb at the start as well like he's clearly just you know he's completely unsupervised he's not he and there is seems to be consequences happening on him but none of the other kids in the building all the other kids in the building are just like this amorphous rabble yeah there's also this bit there's these sequences where like hiddles keeps going to work and for a while yeah yeah and he comes home but he's like crying and stressed out and i think it's because he he led the guy to commit suicide right yeah who was his student yeah yeah so he led that guy to commit suicide but then like i couldn't figure out why he couldn't just leave and i couldn't figure out what the movie was saying about him they were like oh he's thriving and i was like is he why i don't understand what that was in in some senses he was in that he was able to survive and he was also he was always seemed to be in the thick of the action and like solving the problems of people but yeah why was he the best what was it the best immunity in the building Mm. it didn't quite make sense elizabeth moss says that at one point you're the best immunity in the building and i was like well, it seems from like what? And he's, why? Uh, well, from the moment he came in, he was kind of like a bit of a favorite and he while also being an outsider. Yeah, and he never co- kind of because he was an outsider and he was always he was mostly kind to people, um not dogs, but people and Well, he was pretty kind to the dogs for most of the movie yeah, and then and he, he just, eats them at the end. Well, yeah, I guess they're starving at that which point. Which I'm assuming is a dog eat dog metaphor. Yeah, and they're starving and it was the rich lady's dog. But lady's why dogs. are they starving? Because they can leave the high rise. They can just go get food. I know. They seem to be, yeah. Well, it seems to be in like one of those sort of new suburbs in the outskirts of a city, which, yes, are often difficult to get to if you don't have a car and often food deserts and all that kind of thing. But not they're not literal. Like you can actually go somewhere and get food. Well, it's the 70s. They can call a taxi. Well, this is the other thing. (laughs) It's Um, it's the 70s. Elizabeth Moss delivers a baby like with the help of some of the other women there. And James Purefoy for some reason. Yeah, uh, but it's the 70s. They have the NHS. Like, I'm sure the NHS had dealt with, you know, more people who were poorer and in worse conditions than she was. That's the whole point of the NHS. And in the 70s, it was much better than it is today. Of course, she could have gone to a hospital or had a midwife come to her. I didn't see. Oh, yeah. I didn't even. By that stage that nobody was leaving ever anyway. Yeah. So, like. <laughs> but, like, it, it's stupid, you know. It's ridiculous. It is. It's ridiculous. The whole thing is. I mean, but. Anyway, putting that aside because it's a metaphor and we should probably stop. Yeah, because if we literal pick, things, if you pick it's it, silly. To, uh, yeah, but it, but because the movie is 
I mean, it just feels really ridiculous, I think. Mm. That's always a problem for me, though, with these kinds of things, where I'm like, I get that it's a metaphor, but like, if you apply even a modicum of logic to this movie for five minutes, it falls apart completely. Mm. But sort of as a work of art, it was quite sort of, there was some nice bits about it. Yeah, I thought it was too long, but it was definitely Mm. very pretty. I don't feel like we needed the flash forward at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think that that was... I don't think that benefited the movie personally Mm. to know where everything was going to end up because A, it makes you hate Tom Hiddleston from the start, which I don't think we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to like, you know, sympathize or empathize with him a little Mm. bit. And I just like, we're like, we've seen him eat a dog. Where are you going to go from here? It's like starting Snowpiercer with the, I know what baby tastes like. Yeah. It's not going to work. You have to like Chris Evans before you get to that. And it becomes a shock Mm. if you, you see Hiddles eat the dog at the beginning, we're never going to like him. No, and, it ta- and, and it's such a pretty cute dog. Right, and, and not just that. It almost really early on as well, we see him go to work and do his job where he cuts open someone's head. Oh, that didn't bother me. Yeah, it's, it was funny. It just, may not have bothered you, but it is not like none, neither of these things are helping win us over on him. We, are, we don't true. actually get to like him until he starts like helping Elizabeth Moss and being nice to Sienna Miller, like – we don't really start to like him for quite a while after that because there's too, there's too many things that are just like, huh? Well, he's such a cipher too. He's not really mm. a person for a lot of it. He re- actually reminds me a lot of the character he played in The Night Manager where he was playing a spy. I didn't see that. Yeah. So and But yeah, he which he does really well, kind of inscrutable. You mm. can't tell what his motives are or um, necessarily where you might go with him, which is I think a good part for him. But it is also – it does make the movie hard to like and – well, if you don't like anybody, yeah. including the main guy, it makes it really hard to watch. Because mm. even like Elizabeth Moss, who we do like, she's kind of difficult to like as well because everyone's behind this sort of veneer of, I think it's quite sort of Brechtian mannered type performances as well. Oh, yeah, the, well, that's the dialogue, I think, a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it is is very, very kind of uh, allegorical, stilted um, flowery dialogue mm-hmm. that just doesn't feel like a real that none of them feel like real people who are really connecting no, in any way. Other than there the are secretary. Few times, no, there are yeah. a few times that I actually thought they did. There was one time when like there's this moment when Luke Evans, um, who by the way is such good casting for Gaston. I saw it so often in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, and here he goes, no one fights like Gaston. No, um, but um there's a bit where he's beating up a guy and then Hiddles comes in and stops him and he turns around and hits him by accident. But then he's like best friends with him a minute later and they dance together. Yep. And well, I, that's because they're in love. Yes. But I, when I saw that bit, kind of felt, I've, I've felt like that in situations before. You know, when yep. somebody's being threatening and they turn around and they're nice to you and uh-huh. it's freaky and it's weird. Yeah. I kind of got, I, I, yeah, I connected that made sense. in that moment with the movie. Mm. There were moments like that that I thought were quite good. And also Sienna Miller I thought was really good in this movie, despite the fact that she's playing a role that she's played literally, I think, a hundred times. Yeah. Like, in every movie I've seen her in, apart from Nightcrawler, no, no Foxcatcher. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that sort of like... She's played exactly Yeah, the she's one. like the, the sort of um, free love hippie chick who ends up at the end of some horrible man's violence and needs to be rescued. In the 70s. Yeah. Well, no, that's what the hippie free love I know, but there are those people now. She is so, like, even when she's in movies that are set now, she looks like she should be in the 70s. Mm. But she was good in this movie, I thought. She was really um, alluring and charming and everything. There there were a few, I think, little moments that connected. When we start to see some of the messiness, there's a bit 
where we go to the, the children's party. The kid, one of Elizabeth mm. Moss's kids is having a party and we actually start to see kind of the messiness of, of it all. I feel like they could have done that a little bit better because we transitioned so quickly from like everything is great into like chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really get to see one of the points I think the movie was making that you can try as hard as you like to make a building perfect and have all these rules and be fancy and decorated in a certain way but people are messy and people have rubbish that needs throwing out people have children who are messy and noisy and eat cake and just uh, things and don't pee in the pool and, and yeah. block up the shoots with their right. nappies yeah things go things happen because people are not perfect and and people don't conform to beautiful ideas about architecture and how things should look and aesthetics and, and people like are also apparently evil and terrible and we'll all kill each other at the yeah. drop of a hat yeah, and this is a very British thing, by the way. <laughs> it is quite British, but it could only be British as well. This is very much a British kind of story. That kind of bleakness. Yes, that's what Americans I mean. like, couldn't make something like this. But, this but the American dystopians dystopias are always significantly different to British dystopias in that British ones have so there's never anybody who is a good person in it. There's never like, and and I, I mean. So I don't think bleak. that's... It's like British shameless versus American shameless. Right. But also, the, this... The, skins, I mean, this was so much like Lord of the Flies as well. Mm. And Lord of the Flies, the guy who wrote it said it was specifically about, like, British schoolboys mm. and how they mm. would act on this island. But I feel like this movie is kind of British, like, businessmen and how they might act but rather that's than the real, se- British, actual people everywhere. But British businessmen were British schoolboys. That's yeah. the whole point. There's a, there's a scene with um in on the squash court with where Jeremy Irons and Tom Hiddleston are playing and the acoustics are so wonderful and these two, like, wonderful voices mm. just talking and I was like, oh, yeah, these are so perfect. But they have these perfect upper-class accents and stuff and they're – they that's what happens in England particularly. Like I read a statistic recently, something like seven percent of British children go to private school, but something like sixty percent of their leaders and people in government went to private school. Yeah. So and it's they're really at the moment. and they're actors too, yes. And um in this generation. But like in England that is actually what happens. Those private school boys grow up to be the at the top of society. Yeah. And so that's that's I know, why but it's it wasn't, perfect. It wasn't just them. Like everybody was going crazy and killing each other. But, uh, mm. th- but you know, I, I just and it was it was all a bit too um, like the the upper crust we're talking about. Let's let's pit the lower levels against each other. Like it was like they actually talk like that kind of. But thing. they were also so nobody. You know, I don't know. It was so like nihilistic, which I never yeah. particularly like. But yeah, it it was. Very pretty though, and my yeah. God, Tom Hiddleston is so gorgeous in this movie. And a, a, cu- a couple of times shot from behind at like butt height. Well, yes, he's that also nice. frequently Thank sexualized you. in this movie, which you know. Yeah, I did. I re- this actually reminded me a bit of. Did you ever watch the Italian neo realists when you were in film school? Did you have to do the- which one? So neo like movie and also so like Lucino Visconti um, blow up. Uh, oh right, those. No, the <laughs> the lion, the, the what's it, the gattapardo, the let the leopard, um, sort of mid century aesthetic about them. I I got a a real neo realist vibe, but in they came from a time in Italy where they would, everyone was just recovering from the war, and all these like young people didn't want to, um, the, were interested in kind of going against all the propaganda that that had come through those war years, and like filming things in really gritty detail with natural lighting and big close-ups and no makeup and all that. I got a bit of that vibe as well. Like it's 
it's that they still actually come out quite pretty because they're really like a reaction against everything that's come before them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's I got that vibe. It also really suited to the end of the world nihilism, all that kind of thing. It's really beautiful. I mean, it's mm. really beautiful. It's also really pretentious. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's so hipster. I mean, hip- I hipsters think- will love this because it's based on an obscure novel about how capitalism is terrible, and it also has a banging mid-century aesthetic. I think the but I think the other problem with it. Um, like, I think the moment when I was like, this is maybe one of the most pretentious movies I've seen is that girl who at the beginning of the movie doesn't speak French, only <laughs> speaks French at the end of the movie, the, the, um, checkout girl. Yeah. And it's been like two months and you're like, what is that about? And why, what is the purpose? She's so, that? she's so traumatized. All she can do is read her French book and never all she can do is speak French. I don't know. It was so weird that like, yeah, that was, uh, it was such a kind of like kind of absurdist and humorous mm. rather than what the rest of the movie seemed to be. And that was just took me out of it. And I was like, nope, this movie now is just ridiculous. I think also the the Luke Evans raping Sienna Miller stuff is so nasty and so awful. Yeah. And then right after that, um, Hiddles talks about how he's the sanest person here. And I was like, okay, well, see, but he's still disgusting yeah. and like a terrible human being. Yeah. But, well, like, I think that's kind of the point is that he may be evil. They may be behaving. These people are behaving terribly, but a lot of them are actually behaving in perfectly rational ways. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's at all rational to do the things that. Well, I don't think it's rational to rape illogical. anybody. It seems like it's just pure evil. But you like insanity is not necessarily correlated with violence. That's true, but I do think staying in a place that that that's that violent and choosing to be part of it mm. is kind of insane. Yeah, like working from within or whatever it is. I think there's even a line about that about changing it from within or something. It's so it's so insane though that like it's just. Anyway, um, yeah, but yeah, I think the movie is also kind of better in the earlier stages mm. when it's not full chaos yet. When you're starting yeah. to see the cracks, it's more interesting. Once it des- devolves into full chaos, it's just kind of it's a lot of it for a long time, and it's just really wearing and really mm. kind of well, dull by the end. As you of it. know where it's going because yes. you had that clip at the beginning, exactly, which is why yeah. the clip at the beginning is bad for this yeah. movie. It, 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 I think it would have benefited from yeah a bit more time in that sort of it, it, it's okay on the, the surface. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. That sort of it's okay on the surface, but things you can see the cracks appearing stage because that w- I think that worked really well. Because there's Cause other the, things. That- the kid jumping off the building, the the kids' party that in, invading the pool, like yeah. that stuff worked really well. And there's other things that are just so bananas. Like the police come, two police officers come in a little car. Mm-hmm. The cl- place is clearly a total disaster zone. It looks like it's literally been hit by a natural disaster or something. Mm. There's trash just piling out the front door. All the cars are, or half the cars are destroyed. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. And the, architect comes down and he's like let's just sweep this under the rug and you're like this is the most ridiculous thing well no i mean that's uh, that's actually one of the less less subtle metaphors for the way government works in a hyper capitalist neoliberal society but yes it is a bit silly and like no ambulance or police come to get the guy who's jumped off the building Mm -hmm. that not like he's gone the next day no investigation no police no nothing really yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm assuming that's just the whole. And a whole bunch of people just like are killed in this building 
And again, there's no looking into it. There's no kind of responses to that. I mean, even in the 70s, people would have like noticed, right? Yeah, which is why, of course, then you've got to go back to it's got to be set in some kind of dystopian alternate 70s where right. society really has collapsed. And yeah. Or, you know, they're actually kept in this building and it's car park by some kind of force field. And that's why the more Tom Hiddleston tries to drive to work, the more upset and anxious and depressed he gets. So he can't, he just stops driving to work. Yeah. That, that seemed to be like an implication. I thought they were going to go there earlier in the movie because there's this moment where he and Wilder, um, Luke Evans go out into the car park and they're like, I can't figure out where I parked my car. Yeah. So I thought that there was some sort of like actual. like sci-fi thing on the building that was making people forget yeah. that the architect was designing, especially since his place was so like modernist and futuristic and stuff. I thought maybe it was actually going to go sci-fi, yeah. but no, it was supposed to be real and that. And I thought it also linked back to there's a bit where the man in the big blue car and a man in a mini have this race through the car oh, yeah, park to get weird. to the best car park. And in my head, it's Luke Evans in the blue car and Hiddles in the mini, although he's really tall. He'd probably have trouble fitting into a mini, but like, it's them in my head, and so when they come down again, like that's why they don't want to drive each other. Or, but it wasn't know. them. No, I didn't. It, think it was, was. Um, James Purefoy and someone else who lives in the building. Oh no, the other documentary filmmaker guy. Oh right, yep. It was those two. James Purefoy, by the way, was like eating the scenery in this. Mm. He was devouring the scenery in this. He was so over the top. It was kind of hilarious. Mm. Um. Also, I don't think he naturally has the ac- accent that he was using in this movie, and it kind of was a bit jarring. Mm. Yeah, I've actually had that problem with Elizabeth Moss. It was really distracting, her oh, accent yeah, her for the accent first while. Good. It was funny because she was surrounded by British people and it just didn't quite. No. But she was really good in that role, actually. It was a good one for her, actually. Yeah. She reminded part. me of Alison Pill in, um, in, in Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. Clearly. This is this year's Snowpiercer. <laughs> this is this year's Snowpiercer, but yeah, not as much fun. Which is saying something. Snowpiercer ain't a lot of fun, but it was, yeah. It had some fun scenes in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very grey, but it was, you know, it had some cool it, action it left scenes. With, it left you with an impact, whereas this one, I kept looking at my watch because I was getting bored. And I cared about the characters in Snowpiercer, makes it, which makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I cared about Chris Evans and I, you know, I cared about some of the people. Jamie in Bell there. and, yeah. And um, Octavia Spencer. Spencer. Um, I cared about those guys. But, yeah. Um, in this one, I just didn't care about any. I, I cared about the dogs. I really hated oh. all the violence against the dogs. That was yeah. so upsetting. And I cared about, like, I n- cared naturally about the kids and what was going on mm. with them. And I was really concerned about Elizabeth Moss being really overdue for her baby. Well, yeah, because she's, like, at the very beginning, the three months earlier, she's like, oh, this baby's already overdue. And she doesn't give birth until things have well and truly descended into chaos. I would, at a guess, like maybe three or four weeks later, yeah. So she's already overdue and she d- goes another four weeks. <laughs> I know. So that seems dangerous. Again, this is the 70s. You have the NHS. And anyway. and also I, I was convinced the baby was going to be dead or something. Yeah, no, nothing went wrong. Or if the baby didn't die that she would have some kind of complications, you know, yeah. um, infection or whatever. Maybe no. from all the smoking that she does while she's pregnant with the baby. Well, <laughs> well no, I'm, I mean just the usual, you know, puperal fever, the, the yeah. thing that killed one in 12 women in the Middle Ages. Yeah, no, it was um the and the the ending was really strange. It's read very much like a guy's fantasy of the apocalypse mm-hmm. where like because he was the the strongest survivor and the best survivor in that environment, he gets all of the women. Yeah. <laughs> that was really weird. Although I was kind of when all the women stabbed um Wilder, I was like, 
Yeah, that's what happens when you do that. It's some poetic justice there. But it does feel like that was kind of like a man's idea of what a, a fantasy ending, like that women would want to end their attacker with extreme violence like that. Yeah. It's very much written from a man's perspective. Yeah. While her son watches. Yeah. Through his kaleidoscope, which yeah. was also funny because, I mean, the, the that ca- kid was clearly evil. Like, there was clearly something wrong with that kid. Well, look at who his dad was. Um, mm. That's what the, the metaphor that yeah, yeah, yeah. was. But, yeah, the um, the kaleidoscope stuff, because that's, you know, the design of the buildings got all the triangles in it mm. and stuff that I think he was – I think he, in a sense, was the building. Yes. Yeah. Um, This kind of neutral observer that was, like, tumbling everybody around and stuff. Yeah, as well as being the natural heir to the building for yes. his father. Mm. There's also these moments when people are talking about, I don't work for you, I work for the building, and I was just talking to the building, mm. where it tried to make the building into a character, but I never really felt like the building was a character. No. It didn't have enough of a impact for me to feel that. No. Um, it didn't, f- And it didn't feel like the building was doing this to them. It felt like they were doing it to themselves. Mm, um, they were. Cause, and there was actually an interesting bit where – the first time Luke Evans gets angry at the authorities, he's getting really angry at – I don't know if it's James Purefoy's character or if it's the other janitor. There's, it, he's getting angry at someone who's, like, building maintenance. Yeah, it's the, it's it's the janitor a, guy. Yeah. So, like, he's actually getting angry at someone who's, like, on the lowest rung of the totem pole of the thing. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is interesting that he's kind of – he has no access to the upper floors at all, so he has to take – he takes his anger out on whoever he can and whoever he sees as a representative of the building. Yes. Well, I also thought that he and um and Lang Wilder and Lang were supposed to represent like opposite ends of the masculinity spectrum, mm, yeah, and stuff. And and uh, it was interesting. All of the women were really attracted to Lang, which I get. Well, because you get should that. see Hiddles in this movie. My God, he is so I know. pretty. This is the nineteen seventies. He no man in the seventies wore suits or shirts this well tailored. That was what I and that's one of the reasons why it shocked me that it was set in the seventies because what I've seen from it has been. Like, I, I I saw Sienna Miller, but I was like, well, she always looks she like just that. like Sienna Miller. <laughs> um, and I saw him and and the J- naked Jeremy scene. Irons is sort of dre- dressed as like in, in kind of sort of a timeless sort of white smock thing. Yeah, and everybody dresses exactly the same all the way through the movie. Um, because mm. they're like caricatures, especially Lang, who, who like you see him in all these weird, weird anachronistic places in the suit. Yeah, like in the gym and in the pool at the pool yeah. and playing squash and <laughs> yeah, painting his. Uh, apartment and then getting the like gray splotch on his eye yeah. which looks awesome um whoever did the design for this movie is, yeah, is really pretty solid well I, I, although i think what the aesthetic they were going for with hiddles of suits was like 1960s because they look like the Mad Men type suits with the but skinny black not. ties well no they're not cut like a 1970s suit but the skinny black ties right. and stuff and the there's a bit of a flair to the trousers yeah so i think they were going for like the six i don't know they 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 just wanted to make him look good which i totally appreciate yeah i appreciate it too but that was but yeah whereas luke evans is like ridiculously 70s yes. he's got this terrible wig and these sideburns they do not look like they come from the same time period at all yeah they yeah. don't. And, you know, you've also got that TV announcer guy who was straight mm. out of the 70s. And, by the way, I had no idea that that woman at the end of, like, the the woman that ends up in the threesome with the royals, mm. I had no idea she was the actress from earlier. It took me a while, but I eventually figured it out when she put her sunglasses on. Yeah. I had no clue for ages. They At one point, she says something about the autograph right at the end of the movie, and I was like, oh, it's her. Yeah, it's her. But I didn't. 
pick up on that. There were t- way too many characters, mm. which is a lot a problem a lot of movies and, and have the, when the, they get adapted into books. Yeah, and the actor the other way around, books get adapted into movies. Yep. Um, I'm but a bit tired. We've been watching movies all, all day. goddamn day. Yeah, she and she looked a bit too much like the wife with the curly red hair and Keely stuff. Keely Hawes. Yeah. I I knew who she was because I know the actress. So by the time I finally saw her, but I thought the other girl might be her sister for a while because yeah, of the relationship right? they had. But th- no, clearly they're in love with each other. Right. Well, th- then I figured that out later. Um, mm. I think when they were in bed together and I was like, oh, no, they're like sleeping together. But I still didn't f- know it was the actress. And mm. then it was much later that I figured out that it was the actress. Yeah. It took me a while as well. And there's way too many guys that look the same. And I just stopped yep. trying to – I knew who like some of the major players were and I was done. Yeah. If I knew the actors, I was okay. But I, for example, didn't know any any of the actors below about – Hiddles and Luke Evans. So I, I you keep talking Sienna about James Purefoy. Oh right, he was, and I are uh, the male actors. I mean, and I I so think I know which one he was. But there he was had the two blue, um, sweatsuit yeah, on. Yeah. So there, but there were like two guys who worked in the building yeah. maintenance, and that that was confusing to me as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it would have. I think for ease of adaptation, they could have um, streamlined some characters into one. I agree because there was also I kept getting the janitor and the orthodontist confused and you shouldn't get those two confused but oh, like so i i can't remember seeing the orthodontist other than that first thing so he was in the whole thing he was like he was alive at the end of the movie he's the guy that that hiddles talks to right at the end who puts the glasses on the commentator right right on the news guy yeah yeah, yeah okay that's him and he's the one who's constantly complaining about children and he goes and hits the dog yeah, in yeah, the okay. hallway and right, stuff. Right, so that's But see, him. I got him confused with a janitor because he's always acting janitorial. Yeah, no, I just assumed he was the janitor. Sorry. I, they, so that was two characters. Yes. Okay. Um, I James did not know Pilfoy that. is, yeah, the blue sweatsuit guy yeah. who um, he's like the f- first in command after Royal. Yeah. And yeah. then there's the other guy who's the enforcer with the beard. Yeah. Yeah. James Pilfoy, though, um, I've seen him in other things, so – I remember him. Yep. Um, yeah. No, this is a bit confusing. It all is a bit confusing. It, should, it could have been streamlined, I think, if you were adapting it. Yeah, it really could have. And if they'd streamlined it, maybe not so long oh, and it would have been yeah. easier to watch. But mm. this is definitely, it feels like those movies that, I, I mean, I see so many movies for actors that I like and this feels <laughs> exactly like watching one of those where you're like, I am watching this because I like this actor and I know he's good and I'll enjoy yeah. him in this movie, but this movie is not something that I would ever seek out otherwise. No. No, we literally went because of Hiddles and we had free tickets. Well, Naked Hiddles. Na- oh, yeah, Naked Hiddles. We knew <laughs> about everybody. This scene. is the, literally the only thing anybody knows about this movie. They know about Naked Hiddles. And that's not entirely is, is Naked Hiddles. really, like, they really kind of go for that too. Because there's a moment when you think he's done and then she calls him back and he comes back out and you're like, yeah. yeah. And he's, he, there's a couple of scenes of him in the shower too later on. There but, are. Yeah. No, that's literally all I knew about this movie. I was like, oh, the Naked Hiddles one. Sure, I'll take those tickets. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also a lot of scenes of like him, you know, with his hips and stuff, and yeah, dances there's a, with there's stewardesses. A, I know there's a, a dream, dream sequence where he dances with stewardesses that seems to have no, be- like, have no bearing on the plot no. whatsoever, except to show Hiddles dancing more than from once in behind. The movie. Yeah, yes, um, and, and there's also a scene where he plays squash in very very tiny shorts. Yes, which is also shot from behind. There's, there, it's there's some very fan servicey things in this so, movie. Thank you, Ben. I was about to say Ben Wishaw, it's Ben Wheatley. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, Should we give this movie ratings? Yeah, I'm finding this, it's really hard to give this a rating, but I liked some of the things. I liked quite a few things in it and I liked, um, we watched a really terrible movie after it, so I'm also kind of in comparison feeling good about this one. 
but it, it still was very hard going. So I'm thinking maybe two and a half stars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. As well. I, I mean, I think if I boil it down, there's definite, I think there's adaptation problems with the movie as a movie. It's not well paced. It's too long. The, um, the sort of dramatic kind of descent is in the wrong place and it doesn't take long enough. And then mm. we've, we've basically kind of got two, mo- two stories kind of stuck together yeah. in the middle with, by a, a montage. Mm. Um, and I think they use montages when things are too hard mm. for them to decide how they're going to do it. So they just montage it. And I think that's kind of lazy, but I thought it was pretty and, and I did. I mean, I liked a lot of the performances in it, but it was really confusing to figure out who was who. So I think I'm going to go for three stars. I think it did a pretty good job of what it was trying to do, which is what something that I should be marking it on. You know, Mm. it's trying to be, you know, uh, this metaphor and it's trying Mm. to kind of push some boundaries and stuff. And it does that sort of thing really well. And it's really gorgeous. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate its ambition. The visual kind of representation of the thing falling apart works really well as well. Mm. So, Mm. yeah, three stars. Cool. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find old episodes or show notes, you can find them on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find Katie's review of High Rise or the other films that she watches, they're on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we are facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens at screen underscore queens on Twitter and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.